0: The drummer has the job of inspiring, bringing out of the soloists and the rest of the band things that they probably wouldn't do otherwise. You have to be a good listener, that's an important thing. You know, sometimes I won't respond necessarily to a rhythm or something that's played because I want to give them space. But then I may play something against the player to compliment what they're doing. If it makes sense, if it feels right, and that's an intuitive thing. Music is very intuitive, and listening is part of it. And playing grooves, I love grooves. I love to play grooves, but I love to sit and uh, just milk it for all this guy. That's
1: drummer and 2012 NEA Jazz Master Jack Dejeanette. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. This is the second of a two-part interview with legendary drummer, Jack DeJohnette. A dynamic and versatile musician, Jack creates a sound that is absolutely his own. He's one of the most influential jazz drummers of the 20th century, both as a leader and as a sideman for artists like Miles Davis, Joe Henderson, Freddie Hubbard, and Sonny Rollins. An accomplished pianist as well as a percussionist, Dee is known for his musicianship and his innovative approach to the drums. In part one, we learned about Jack's coming of musical age in Chicago and his early years in New York City, the influence of Muhal Richard Abrams, and his collaboration with Miles Davis, which culminated in the seminal album Bitches Brew. In part two, Jack DeJohnette discusses the various trios and bands he's led, the development of his independent record label, and his decades-long relationship with pianist Keith Jarrett. I spoke to Jack DeJohnette soon after he was told about receiving the NAA Jazz Masters Award. We talked on the porch of his home in the Catskill Mountains, and yes, those are birds you occasionally hear singing in the background. We pick up the conversation with Jack talking about his instrument
0: the drums. The drums are a percussive instrument and a musical instrument. You tune it. You have cymbals. symbols are uh, the orchestral sounds or the sustaining sounds that uh, link rhythms that you play on the actual drum set. You know, drummer has to comp like a piano player as well. And uh, I try to do that. So I think orchestrally about my drum set. So, I don't use a big kit like a rock and roll drummer.
1: 8 drums, something like that is that about yeah, who you use? Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's extended because I have an 8 and 10-inch mounted tom-toms which I like to tune in the bongo range because I love playing with a hand percussionist. It gives me I think of, of hand percussion rhythms mm-hmm. on the drum set, especially Afro-Cuban, you know, Latin rhythms. So, that gives me a broad palette on my drum kit. Uh, and I kind of tune it so that it fits pretty broad range of music. And I also use and I've developed like bells, something called resonating bells, which uh, my cymbal company, um, Sabian, we co-created a line of cymbals for me, Jack D. cymbals. So sound is important. So I like to create musical cymbals. So I, I created these resonating bells. I wanted to have something that allowed me to play melodically and harmonically in certain musical contexts. And these bells allowed me to do that. Actually, I wound up using the bells, actually, <laughs> on uh, my uh, first re- recording on my label, Golden Beams, called Music in the Key of om
1: You also did a number of records as a leader. Creatively, what happens with you when it's your ensemble?
0: Well, you know... I'm have to ask myself, what do you want to do? And also, I write like Duke Ellington and some of the other great composers, write for the personalities that are in my band. So getting into band leading, well, when I first started leading the band, I guess the first Directions band was done through my first producer, which was Orin keepers. And uh, he had a label called Milestones. And uh, of course, I did the, First record uh, with him called the Degenet Complex, mm-hmm. and that's pretty historical as it, it had my mentor on drums, Roy Haynes, and two bass players, Eddie Gomez and Miroslav Beatles, two great musicians and Stanley Cowell, uh, composer and player, a great player, and Biddy Maupin. So that was my first recording, and I also featured me on a wind-blowing instrument called the melodica. I have Orin, uh, uh, you know, to thank for, like, believing in me, Experiment with things uh, on his label.
1: You're referring to producer Orrin News. You did a lot of work with Manfred Eicher, with special edition directions, new directions.
0: Eventually, uh, my first directions recording was uh, done with John Abercrombie, uh, Alex Foster, and Peter Warren. And that was called. The Cosmic Chicken. So that was the First Directions band. And then I went to Manfred and, uh, you know, did the first record for him with uh, Keith Jair and myself called Rucha and Dacia. Manfred was, uh, he, he viewed music like a production, like a film production. He was a classical producer, which for Dutch gramophone. Produced a lot of uh, records. I think he sang in some choirs in Austria when he was young, and he played bass. So he did play a lot of experimental music. But his musical palette was quite broad, and so he was interested in recording some of the musicians who played with Miles, like myself, Keith, Gary Peacock. It was great working with Manfred, working with Manfred which I still work with him because he was always encouraging you to do the best. Creative output that you could do, and he had an aesthetic that drew that out, and he loved spontaneity as well as fixed composition. And uh, well, it's been thirty years, I believe, something other, or longer than that. But but uh, he's still considered one of the premier producers of uh, new music, classical music, and jazz, and just, I'd say world music. So it's been. Really, uh, very profound, very, very highly long lasting creative relationships.
1: Well, you have another long lasting creative relationship with Keith Jarrett. You've been playing together for decades. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk about the alchemy that happens between you?
0: Keith is another one of those musicians that is considered uh, and is one of the best improvisers on the planet today. And any genre, classical and jazz you know, he and I met um, the Charles Lloyd Quartet, and we got a rapport we instantly. we didn't have to talk about. It, it was just something that was maybe we have been together in previous lives, I don't know, but there was just something an understanding that we had with each other. We could just go anywhere, <laughs> and we still do. And it's just stayed intact through over 40 years now. Playing with Charles, and then later, uh, him playing the uh, electric keyboards with Miles,
1: and then the trio. You, Gary Peacock, and and Uh, Keith Jarrett.
0: And you know, it's been great working with Keith, and Keith has been quite respectful of Gary and myself by advertising us the equal billing. And, And we never talked about how long we would stay together. We just said, as long as it feels good, we'll keep doing it. So uh, it's uh, it's been a magical uh, voyage.
1: You, Gary Peacock, and, and Keith Jarrett, you're doing the standards now.
0: The idea of coming up playing standards was good because it, instead of us all writing original tunes, it gave us common ground to go into these songbook, you know, the American Songbook, and, and see what we could pull out of it. And we're still doing that. I mean, we do have periods where we do spontaneous improvisations, but we also do the standard book, and we've been finding new ways to play it <laughs> Yeah. Continually do that. We just finished a nice tour of Europe in July. We usually do the summer festivals in uh, July.
1: You started your own production company quite some time ago, Golden Beam. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Golden Beams was uh, an idea that sprung out by uh, sort of an inspiration from my wife Lydia, and my younger daughter, Minya, so that uh, I had so many projects and ideas and things I wanted to do. This was set up to be an outlet, play with different musicians that I had a rapport with.
1: Do let's talk about music in the key of home because that is groundbreaking.
0: Yeah, music in the key of home was made for uh, my wife Lydia, who does vibrational healing work. So I made it for her and then my younger daughter, Minya, who was at the time doing um, massage therapy they both had these CDs and people started commenting like this is nice you know you should put this out my older daughter Farr posed for the cover of that and it was made and uh, it got nominated for a Grammy and it's still doing well one of the things I wanted to get across with that there's a lot of so called goes into the new, new age category and a lot of new age music where people are playing music like they're soloing and they're playing a lot of notes and sometimes it's distracting i wanted to make something that didn't do that that the person could do yoga or just meditate or massage so that you just tune out and just just grounds you brings you into a place of peace where you can re-energize and rejuvenate yourself and that's that's the space i went into when i recorded so it had that effect on me when i heard it back and as i was doing it i was feeling it.
1: Let's talk about the evolution of your trio with Danilo Perez and John Petitucci. How did the three of you come together?
0: Well, I did Danilo's first recording as a leader, and I played with John Petitucci on a on a Chinese guitarist named Eugene Pau, who came over here to record. And I said to uh, John, I said, man there's a pianist named Danilo Perez I think you two guys sound great together so I hooked them up and as a result they're half of Wayne Shorter's amazing quartet and we played together and we we decided okay let's do something with the trio so we decided okay we're going to do this recording because we had such a really really great rapport together
1: and you produced this Golden Beams yeah
0: Golden Beams yeah so we produced this project, and I'm the executive producer. Music We Are, and it was done up here near Woodstock in Catskill. And I wanted just to capture that vibe that we had, and so we through the using studio techniques, overdubbing, and editing, we uh, put together the, the tracks on this uh, Music We Are. <laughs> following you with it because Danilo broke his Achilles heel. <laughs> so he was out of commission for a while. But we did manage to play a week at the Blue Note, which was sold out for that week. And we played some of the music from that CD. And also we played the Puerto Rican Jazz Festival.
1: Danilo said that one thing that's true for all three of you is that you're in all in love with the process. Mm-hmm. of making
0: the music. Yeah, because, you know, we came with music, but somebody somebody makes a suggestion. Why don't we change this? Like Danilo made some changes to one of my pieces that enhanced it. You know, John might have to do that. So it was a collective musical process. We mixed it together. So it's a, a democratic way of producing a quality musical statement, or statements, I should say.
1: The other thing I thought was interesting, and this is something that you said, you said we're not the average jazz trio, we use the colors, and you refer to seeing music in colors. Can you say more about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was Danilo who said that, about the colors. But I think when you say colors, I mean, colors for me is sometimes the, the mood or the harmonies or the rhythms will evoke feelings or maybe colors. You know, in music, sometimes there are chords, sometimes uh, blue chords and, or red chords. Different people see different colors on, you know, when you talk about colors. Coloring the music, I'd say, I use the term coloring the music, like if I play with somebody, I'm not just keeping time, I'm coloring the music like a painter would be using it with a palette. So I'm using rhythm, sound, and tonalities from the pitches of my drums and the cymbals. So... In that sense, it's called, that's why it was referred to as coloring in music. Yeah, I'm not always thinking in terms of color. I'm thinking of the moods, the feeling. And if it makes you move, that's the important thing. If it makes you move, that's, that's what I want. Because the rhythm, the mood, when you can get the body to move, you bypass the intellect, which is all, oh, it starts processing, starts thinking. You go to the feeling. And then you break that down, and then the musician and the listener can open up to sometimes places of ecstasy, you know. And that's what happens, like, with groove music, you know, trance music, so-called trance music, the repetition of something, and it takes you higher and higher. It just keeps growing. It feeds itself, or feeds the fire.
1: Let's talk about how you're feeding the fire now. What's next for you? You have so many irons in the fire. What's next for you? What's next for Golden Beams?
0: Okay, when you mention Golden Beams, I'll, I'll address the Golden Beams first. The, you know, the next projects that were done on the label um, was Bill Fazell. Actually, a project that was in my archives and record everything, every performance. And uh, while touring with Keith Jarrett on the tour in Seattle, Washington, uh, John Gilbraith, who hosts the uh, Earshot Jazz Festival in Seattle, I had a day off in between, and Bill and I were able to do a duet concert, which was recorded and documented. And I pulled it out, and I listened to it, and I thought, there's something on here. So I sent it to Bill. I said, Bill, what do you think? Could I put this out on my label? We'll work something out. And he said, yeah, go ahead. So, And then I brought in my son-in-law, Pablo Ben Sermon, who's a musician and sound engineer who's worked with me for many years through his father, the great composer and multi-readist uh, John Sermon, another great affiliation. So Ben came in, and, and I brought him in, and I said, you know, enhance this. you know, Add some ambient sounds, add some colors to this. And so, you know, we co-produced that and came out with The Elephant Sleeps But Still Remembers. And then I did a follow-up to the Music in the Key of Own. Peacetime, and that uh, uh, consequently got a uh, Grammy. You know, that uh, was really exciting.
1: And your own projects?
0: At the moment, <laughs> it's pretty crazy right now. I just came back from Europe, and you know, my wife and I were co managers right now. And there's a lot going on with the NEA, and uh, I was blessed with the opportunity to do. A very special project to coincide with the NEA ceremonies in New York. Uh, A good friend of mine, Chuck Mitchell, uh, who's been involved in the music business, and the record business for many years, he's done work with Herbie Hancock. Uh, We've known him over 40 years. You know, we talked to him and he said, Well, you know, I'd just love to see you do a great recording and have it come out coincide with the NEA ceremonies. And so he asked me who I'd like to get to produce it, and the one the man I chose is a great, great, fantastic compu- uh, producer named Bob Saden, Robert Saden, and uh, I've worked with him on numerous occasions uh, with Herbie and um, on the Sting project, Sting's last project before last, I guess. Uh, something I forgot the title, something in winter he did stuff with strings and wind ensembles. So I did, I played drums in one piece, only one actually, and Bob was producing that. So I suggested I wanted you to get Bob. We had a meeting and Bob was really excited to do it. So I chose the musicians and I chose, the musicians I chose were the younger, I say, leaders or innovators of the future and they are Esperanza Spaulding. Fantastic all-around talent, actually. She sings, she writes, she plays bass, and I actually played on three tracks of her next release. And then Leonel Luecki, who uh, comes from Benin, Africa, who's been been playing with uh, Herbie. I got a chance to play with Leonel extensively last January with... uh, um, Michel Poultal, who's a very talented, very say we say, eclectic player. He, he's well known for his uh, playing clarinet, Mozart. He plays Mozart. But he also does jazz and new music experiments, and he plays all the reed instruments. So we did a record of Michel's with Lionel and a trumpet player who I like very much named Ambrose aachen Museum. And... Um, These players have very individual voices. I also want to do a few tracks with uh, Jason Moran. Who was recommended to me by Danilo Perez, named Luisito Quintero. So that's uh, the lineup, and I'm writing music. And basically, a lot of it's, we talk about grooves. It's going to be about grooves, because I do that so well. So it's my turn to make a groove record.
1: Final question, Jack How did you find out that you were named in NEA 2012 Jazz Master? I
0: was in um, London. Mom, and mother-in-law's house, and uh, Wayne called and said, uh, "You know, this is NEA. How are you doing?" I said, oh, "I'm doing okay." He said, "Well, I've got some news for you to make your day a little bit better." He says, and, uh, "He says you've been awarded the uh, NEA Jazz Masters Award, and uh, it took a little while for." Uh, and I said, "Oh, really? Wow!" know, after I hung up, <laughs> to my wife Lydia was like, well, "You took me a while for it to sink in, and then, you know, I was like, yeah, you know. I'm having a lot of time now to have it sink in, and a lot of people congratulating me, and, and it's really, really, feel really blessed to have that honor.
1: So well-deserved, Jack, really. Oh. Many wow. congratulations from
0: us. Thank you, and it's great to join the list of other great masters. To be worthy of that is it's, it's really a great, great feeling.
1: That was drummer and 2012 NEA Jazz Master Jack DeJohnette. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpts from Mirror Image from the CD The DeJohnette Complex, composed by Jack DeJohnette, and used courtesy of Concord Music Group Inc. and DeJohnette Music. Excerpts from Prism from the CD Setting Standards, composed by Keith Jarrett and performed by Keith Jarrett, Jack DeJohnette, and Gary Peacock, used courtesy of ECM Records and Cave Light Music. Excerpts from Earth Prayer and Michael, from the CD Music We Are, composed by Jack DeJohnette and performed by Jack DeJohnette, Daniello Perez, and John Petitucci, used courtesy of Golden Beans Productions and DeJohnette Music. Excerpts from Music in the Key of Ohm, composed by Jack DeJohnette and use courtesy of Golden Beams Productions and Dejeunet Music. Excerpts from Indigo Dreamscape, from the CD Sound Travels, composed by Jack Dejeunet, Use courtesy of Golden Beams Productions, E1 Music, and DL Media. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, architect and public artist, Mijing Yoon. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.